Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim Rochelles. Today's episode 259. We're going to be interviewing Rich. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm doing well. Excited to do this as usual. So uh, how's everything going for you today? Pretty good. Finished up work a little early today. Uh, got the rest of the day off, picking up my kid. And How old's your kid? She's uh, 14. Pretty cool. All right, my friend. So first question I ask everybody is, tell me about your childhood and growing up. About my childhood and growing up. Uh, I had a, I didn't have like a traumatic or bad childhood or anything like that. You know, like there, there, there was no standout circumstance when I was younger that leads me to think I was predisposed to doing any of what I've done in my life. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I have three brothers, uh, one older, two younger. My mom was, I was very close to her. She's the greatest mom on earth. She's passed away a couple years ago. Um, I don't have like a strong relationship with my father. We clash, but it was never like he, he wasn't abusive, not physically at least, you know, like he could be, you know, a bit of a dick, but he wasn't like, hmm. am I, am I good language wise or? Language-wise, I was about to ask, what kind of thing would he do to be a dick? None. It's just you know what it is. Is he? He's one of those people that's that's a know-it-all, and and he's he's very particular about things that he wants done his way, his way only. He's incredibly argumentative. Uh, it's just he's he's very hard to get along with. And I mean, even growing up, if I had friends that were around or anything, I'd be like, you know, just. Avoid him. He's a bit of an asshole. And and upon first meeting him, they'd be like, "Oh, I don't know why you say that." But then getting to know him or see, being around more often, they're like, oh, "I get it." You know, like he and I just we we didn't we don't mesh. You know, like he's not a he's not a personable human being. I mean, he's not the worst person on earth. Like I said, he wasn't beating me or, or sexually assaulting me or anything like that. You know, like I didn't I didn't really want for anything growing up. Like we weren't. We weren't rich by any means. I, I wouldn't even say that we were upper middle class, you know, but like I, I had everything I needed. I was clothed. I was fed. You know, I, I was taken care of. So as far as, you know, my childhood went, th there's, there's nothing that I look back on and I'm like, oh, I, I had it rough. I didn't, you know? Yeah. No, that's a good thing. So you're second to four brothers. How'd you guys get along growing up? Uh, we're all. You know, me, me and my oldest brother are probably the closest out of me and my brothers. My youngest brother's like 10 years younger than me. So there's like a little bit of a generational gap. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. My brother's 10 years younger. Which <laughs> I can't even say a little bit of a generation. My, my fiance is 12 years younger than me. So, like, <laughs> you know, like, but uh, smart girl, you know, we get along real well. She's she's incredibly mature. So, I mean, that works out. But uh, I mean, yeah, like there's not a. It's not a horrible relationship between me and my siblings. There, there was a gap that built as I was in like active addiction. And, you know, I had my younger brother just below me, you know, suffered from, you know, addiction as well. And it was definitely something that was prevalent in my family. My youngest brother and older brother seemed to have dodged that bullet. But, you know, that was pretty much the case with them. Like there, there is no... There's no bad blood or negativity amongst me and my siblings. So that's a good thing. Did your parents drink or do anything like that? 
<clears throat> See, no, like my father, my father, uh, he's a pothead. You know, he, he always has been, but now he's like, he, he gets like medical marijuana. He's epileptic. So, you know, the, the, there is a, and it does seem to help quite a bit. So, I mean, I'm not going to sit there and knock him for that. I mean, that, that, that just validates his, his desire to do it anyway. Yeah. But, uh, my mother, she was on, uh, she was the one who kind of introduced me to pain medication just because she was on pain medication for a valid reason. She had fibromyalgia throughout her whole like spinal column and in her body. And she was constantly, you know, in, in, in pain aches, you know, and, uh, I used to suffer from severe migraines. I hurt my back, which is what led me to where I was at. And, uh, well, my shoulder, really my trapezius muscle was torn in half, but, uh, how'd that happen? Uh, I was doing work for, a company at the time, like a marble and granite company. They also sold cabinets and such. And uh, I was in the back of the truck when the parking brake that apparently was broken released. And we started to roll down a hill a little bit. And when my buddy got somehow got into the truck and slammed on the brakes, one of the straps came undone on like a 400 pound granite top that fell down on me. So it, it tore, Ooh. you know, the muscle in my neck that leads from your shoulder to your neck, the trapezius muscle. And it, it, yeah, it was pretty bad. Wow. It sounds rough. So yeah, it, whatever it was, what it was, but like, I mean, that's, that's what, what started me off pre like opiate epidemic to uh painkillers, you know, Vicodin, Percocet and the, the natural progression from there. Growing up, like when you were young, what was the what was the first time you ever tried anything? Whether it be pot, alcohol, pills, what was the first thing you ever tried? I think the first thing I ever did, I mean, I grew up in uh I'm from North Jersey originally. I'm from North Bergen, but we moved to uh a town called Barnegat when I was like 11, 12 years old. But uh probably around the time that I was like 14, you know, me and but we lived around a lot of woods. We'd go back in the trails and like bike ride and do a bunch of other stuff. But you know, one of us got a a hold of one of our parents bottle of alcohol you know like uh and my parents weren't much drinkers by any means like my mom had wine occasionally I, I i don't think i've ever seen my father drunk so uh i forget who had it but we went back in the woods and like you know drank a little bit but uh that was about it it was like the first thing i ever really tried you know followed by you know weed and then i didn't really do anything else until I was in like my 20s like there was nothing that you know took hold I wasn't like embraced by this desire to continue doing either of them you know like weed never really truly appealed to me and alcohol wasn't a big deal to me either like it, it didn't it didn't scratch the itch that I had you know yeah but uh yeah I mean nothing else came until like my mid-20s when that injury happened and I got, uh, rocketed off on, uh, opiates. And that's where like my progression into active use really took hold. So let's talk about that one. So you got hurt with the trapeze muscle injury and yeah. you said your mom started giving me the painkillers to help you out or well, no, I mean, my mom, my mother kind of like, uh, she didn't give them to me. I I I got I went to like an urgent care and I was given like Percocet okay. and stuff. Uh, or I think maybe Vicodin at the time, like five milligram Vicodins, and then uh, that only lasted so long because they they give you like you know I ended up having to go to physical therapy because it was a workman's comp case and 
while I was doing that, I started going to my own practitioner, which was the one my mom went to, who I want to say this is like 2001, 2002. I was 20, between 21 and 23. I'm, I'm terrible at remembering exact dates and ages, but uh, I ended up going to her doctor after I stopped going to my doctor because I was still experiencing pain and stuff. And this is one of those doctors who just fed you anything you asked for. So uh, he ended up prescribing, you know, like, I want to say perk fives and like Valium for whatever reason. I have no idea why he decided I needed a friggin' Benzo. But uh, and they never really appealed to me either. But uh, from there, like. The, the, at the time, you weren't really seeing like informational packets, you know what I mean? Like uh, a. Uh, can't think of words also a pharmacist, you know. A pharmacist didn't take you aside and they're like, listen, you know, these things are incredibly friggin' addictive or, you know, they chemically, you know, will cause like a chemical habit or such. So like I, I went and I was getting these and taking them and taking them as I, you know, as I thought I needed them, you know. But one of the things you never learn and they don't even say in these informational packets is when you start taking an opiate. You know, it does what it needs to do. It'll help your pain and such, but they don't tell you how much it lowers your threshold for pain as well. So when you're when you're taking it for a significant injury in your shoulder and, and you're taking it only when it really hurts, you start to become incredibly susceptible to minor things that feel like they're world ending. You know what I mean? So like you go on and now, you know, like it started as something for a significant back injury, but now now you're taking it for you know, you have a, a significant headache and then you're taking it because your tooth hurts and then you're taking it because you have a fucking hangnail. You know what I mean? Like, or, or, or you, uh, whatever the case may be, you got a paper cut and you think you need this because every pain feels so significant because you're so used to dulling it down. So your body just becomes very like, it's inherently noticing every little thing that would normally just be something you looked over or you'd feel it and then it's gone, you know? So obviously, you know, I continued to go to this doctor and rather than, you know, limiting or sending me to like a pain management, he was just feeding me more and more each month. You know, I would progress to the next milligram. So it'd be, you know, five milligrams, seven fives, tens, fifteens, thirties, and whatever before I realized it, you know, when I thought I was taking it as needed, there was one day where, you know, I was in my apartment and I felt horrible and I didn't know why. Like, I thought I was getting the flu. So as I'm sitting there, I start to get a headache because not knowing that I'm in full-blown withdrawal because I've never experienced a withdrawal and I'm completely unaware of how addictive these things are or that I, I've, I've created this this chemical habit that I have with it now, you know? So I'm sitting around, my head starts throbbing and I'm like, oh, I still have, you know, half a bottle of Percocet sitting in in, in my medicine cabinet. So I take one of those for my headache because at the time I was also prescribed Imitrex for migraines, but I didn't have any of those or I didn't know where I had left them. So I take the Percocet or whatever and, you know, 20, 30 minutes later, I feel on top of the world again. And that's when it started to occur to me, there's there's something more going on here. So, you know, I was I was on the pain medication for years before uh, suddenly 
they they start taking notice of this this giant opiate crisis that's happening throughout all of America, possibly the world, whatever the case may be. And doctors start to get shut down, mine along with it. So now I'm sitting there with what do I do? You know, and I have a friend who's who's, you know. He comes by my house the one day and he's like, you know, take this. I have no experience with heroin at this point. I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. He gives me the little wax bowl and he's like, you know, try this. And I try that. And from there, it was off to the races. You know, that was all I get. The little wax fold. So I don't know how they serve. I've been in a couple different states and in different places. They seem to package heroin in different ways. But in this area, they package them in what looks like a gum wrapper. It's a little wax envelope that they, you know, they package it in and stamp it because, you know, we need to put our brand on the dope. So you get all kinds of stupid shit like that. So that's what they're called here, like wax folds. And uh, I just went on from there for years and years, progressing from snorting to shooting. And it was a, it was a shit show. How long did that progression take once you, so you, you started snorting? So, yeah, I was snorting heroin probably for three or four years before I moved on to shooting it. I mean, I think the the totality of me using heroin was probably upwards of eight years but, you know, um, opiates and it, it, it cusped on at least 15 years of being thoroughly addicted to opiates and, you know, synthetic opiates, opiates and, and whatever else really crossed my hands at that point. Because, I mean, I'm already doing what I, I perceive to be the worst possible thing you could do. So why not just do everything along with it? Yeah. So I just... uh. I collapsed into that, you know? Was there anything in particular that made you make the switch from snorting to shooting? No, actually, the funny thing is, is obviously you grow an incredible tolerance to stuff as you continue to take it, you know, for a long period of time. So, you know, like snorting, there's a reason they call, you know, doing heroin or whatever, chasing the dragon, because you're always chasing that first high. You're always trying to get and feel the way you did the first time you use it. And after a while of snorting, you know, you you just feel the same whenever you use it. You're not really getting high. You're just kind of regulating yourself, which eventually happens with shooting it as well. But uh, I had a friend who was there and they're like, why don't you try doing it this way? Like you've been doing it this long. You're still snorting, you know, you're a friend. Let me put that in quotes. Cause none of these <laughs> fucking people are friends or at least my perception of what a friend was at that time was really just a, uh, a running buddy, you know, but, uh, they shot me up and the first couple times I shot up, it, d- it didn't really appeal to me, but like, I'd say the third or fourth time I did it, it hit home. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I thought I had arrived, you know, I'd arrived at the ball, you know, I'm, that that did it all for me and i never went back to doing it any other way it's is it scary is it scary the first time shooting up no it, it's it's hard to explain but honestly it, it's not <clears throat> i i guess the idea of putting a needle in your skin is and i was never a big fan of needles i'm not one of those people that's like i have a phobia of needles you know like i i apprenticed at a tattoo shop i i'm all too familiar with being around needles. They they don't bother me to be around, you know, like I'm not one of those people that shies at blood work or anything like that. And it just didn't appeal to me, the idea of it, you know, like it, the idea of heroin in general prior to using it repulsed me. Like I, I just, 
I had the perce- same perception of it that probably most people did when they were younger that like all these people that use, you know, that are shooting up or fucking junkies, low lives, pieces of shit, whatever the case may be, you know, because I never really had any experience with any of these people, nor the f- understood the fact that they're people and that they're they're struggling with something. And this isn't necessarily a choice they made, even though to an extent it is, you know, like we all chose the path we took. It's just we we chose it without knowing where it was leading or we chose it because we were wholly unaware of other ways to cope with whatever issues it was that we're facing. And we we took an easy way out. You know, it's easy to numb yourself. It's easy to to dull away your senses. You know, like when I'm at meetings or whatever the case is, I, I always refer to heroin as a spiritual Novocaine because it just it numbs me away from everything. Yeah, you know, it, it quiets me. It quiets my mind, and I'm an overthinker. I, I, I go, I'm excessive with anything. I'm always trying to plan things out to a certain point. So, like, and and I've suffered from you know, being you know manic and bipolar for the majority of my life. You know, it, it runs in my family. I think I feel like I I got some kind of a a grasp of it. I'm not medicated, you know, but uh, mental health issues are part of my story i was about to say do you think that tied into your addiction the mental because i also have mental health issues and i definitely say that had a lot to do with it i would say that mental health issues tie into every aspect of life in general like i mean i think i think it i think it's hard to say like beyond a shadow of a doubt i'm bipolar i'm manic depressive i feel like they're a little bit over you know like all you need to do is walk into a, a therapist's office and tell them you're a little anxious or you're a little upset and you're bipolar or you have anxiety disorder or you have something else. Like it's not looked at the way a medical disease is looked at. They don't go through all of these steps to truly diagnose something beyond the shadow of a doubt. You can't get blood work to see if you're bipolar, you know? So it's, it's really guesswork. Do I think I suffer? From, I, I know I suffer from something because I do go through, you know, flights of fancy and highs where I'm, I'm manic and I'm, I, I'm, I have, I'm absurdly full of energy and other times where I have lows that are completely unexplainable. There's no circumstance that led toward them. And I've, I've learned to balance myself out with those mentalities, you know, but, uh, I've been through the ringer with being medicated with all kinds of mental health medications, Prozac, Zoloft, whatever they could put in me and nothing ever really seemed to do it for me or made me feel sluggish or like I was trudging through mud it just wasn't it wasn't the path i needed to take i don't i don't diminish anyone who needs to take any type of mental health medication if 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 it works for you by all means you know like do what's necessary to to keep yourself in check and and to be able to live a fulfilled life but for me it just it's it it doesn't do it for me like i i know that i can figure out another way but then again i was also self medicating for over a decade so who am i you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't claim to be any doctor or anything either. No, I, I got you. So at what point did you decide that you needed to get better? Was there something that happened that you decided so, to uh, change your life around? I think I, I would honestly say, and I mean, I, I'm speaking for myself, but I, I feel like I'm kind of speaking for a majority of people as well as, you know, like, when when you're in the thick of it or it doesn't take long before you realize this shit needs to end you know what i mean or like you got to stop but 
it was a long, long, slow road before I finally stopped. Like once, once I first experienced that withdrawal and I started to go through them and run out of my medications, I knew something needed to change. I'm like, I can't progress like this. I can't live my life going through it like this. And at that time, it wasn't nearly as bad as it was as when I was really in the thick of it. And when I was doing bundles of dope a day, upwards of a brick and shooting up and and stealing from family or lying or cheating or burglarizing, whatever the case may be, you know, like where I would have been willing to to fucking snatch a purse from an old lady on the street. Not that I did that, but the thoughts certainly crossed my mind. And I've always lived my life with a with a, with a standard. And it eliminated any standard that I would have held for myself. So when I'm starting to compromise everything about myself to get a hold of a drug that's not even making me feel good anymore, it's just regulating my ability not to be sick, it's time to do something about it. You know, when I'm contemplating ending my life on a daily basis simply because. I don't know how to stop doing this. It's time to try to change something. When I'm in jail every other day or every other week, it's time to change something. You know, like for someone who never had an issue with the law and then has a long list of felonies starting from his 30s, it's clear that there's a problem and that there's one specific thing that's leading me to that problem, you know? So the whole time that I'm using heroin with the intent of, uh, solving an issue i'm i'm under the impression that this is my this is my solution to my problem it's my solution to my depression to my to my pain to my misery to my racing thoughts the whole time i'm taking this this huge problem that's masking itself as a solution for me or i'm choosing to perceive this illusion as a reality you know and yeah. it i was clearly in abundantly aware that this this needs to stop i just couldn't get myself to that point i couldn't make that change i couldn't figure out what it was i needed to do not to do this because anybody on the street you talk to go we'll just start fucking doing it all right thanks that's a fantastic help yeah you don't know how to lead yourself there you don't know what steps need to be taking you don't know how long you're going to suffer before that change starts to evolve into something bigger and better so it took me a while. You know, I tried getting into programs. I went to um, to detoxes that led into, you know, inpatient rehabs. I went to fucking uh, hospitals. I, I, I've been everywhere necessary to try to change. And luckily for me at this point, like, I, I ended up getting locked up a bunch of times, getting put on drug court. Um, was violating drug court left and right on the cusp of getting sent away to prison on like a five or six flat. And I got put in on one of my, uh, one of my violations. And the last time I was locked up in a County jail, something clicked and I'd love to be that person who's like, Oh, I had this aha moment. I had this moment of clarity. Like NA always likes to talk about. I had, I had this epiphany, you know, like the sky opened up and there was little naked angel babies playing harps and music was 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 flowing. But then none of that shit happened for me. I just shifted like I came to this this this. This fork in the road where my choices were fucking end yourself and spare everybody in yourself any future pain or do something about it. And. I decided ending myself wasn't helping me, you know, like. 
who knows where that's leading. And I tried to, uh, I tried to fucking do something about it. I, I, I started showing up, you know, at my NA meetings or HA or CA or, or refuge recovery. I mean, I don't limit myself in any way. So I always believe that, you know, the age old saying knowledge is power is factual. So I want to get every bit of information I need. I started looking into the, the science behind addiction and how it affects the mind. Because maybe if I'm one of those people that I like to get all the answers, I like to question everything. So if I'm going to truly understand how to turn the page on this, I need to gather all the information necessary. I need to know why my body's reacting the way it is. Why am I withdrawing? Why am I desiring this? When I know I don't want it, you know, like, what? why are these urges leading toward it? So, you know, I read up and I went to these meetings and I got in the pocket of people that were in the program that had years clean and, and started meeting real people and getting close to people and having people to rely on that, you know, looked out for me. And I mean, I'm coming up on four years clean. I haven't had those desires. I haven't had those urges. You get those momentary lapses where. You know, you get a little image in your head or you have a drug dream or something like that, but they come as quick as they go. You know, like it's not something that sits with me anymore. I've progressed significantly. I graduated drug court early when I was on the verge of being sent to prison because of how often I was violating it. You know, my uh, I'm off paper. I don't have any friggin' any pending lawsuits or, you know, license suspensions. I'm not living in the woods anymore or and by choice, no less, not even because. I had nowhere to go. I could have been at my parents' house. I could have been with family, but I didn't want anybody to see me the way I was. I wanted to to isolate myself away where I could get high and possibly fucking my life would end and nobody would find me for weeks and it wouldn't bother me, you know? I just uh something changed. I'm I'm thoroughly grateful that it did and I'm glad that it still holds strong. You know, I'm active in the program. I don't make as many meetings as I used to, but I uh, I take on commitments. I I've gone into rehabs to speak to people. I've I've gone into schools to talk to high school students about it. Um, all this stuff's important to me because I keep it in the forefront of my life. You know, like my my addiction took me to the depths of darkness and and beyond. And I realize that I'm one of these people where like I'm I'm a thousand miles from the person I used to be, but I'm a step from being that person again if I make one wrong choice or if I choose to ignore all the things that got me here yeah no that's huge you've come so far and it's good that you recognize these things you know how to keep on top of yourself yeah well i mean it's it's important to just be aware it's important to to keep that shit green to always have it in front of you and to know who you used to be and who you are and i'm not I'm not ashamed of the shit I did, you know, like I'm not ashamed of to, to identify myself as an addict. Yeah, I'm an addict, but it's not all that I am. You know, there's there's a great deal more to me than simply somebody who's used drugs or depended on them for a while. You know, like a chemical dependency isn't rich, you know, it's just one of the factors that made me like my. Uh, there's so much more and. I would not be able to do any of this stuff if I kept this shame in the forefront of my mind. To me, shame is something that you live with because you didn't do anything about something and you continue to struggle with that. I learned from all my mistakes because if I didn't, I'd be right where I was. 
So there's no reason for me to sit there staring in the mirror, hating myself for things that have passed, that are gone. I have the ability to amend those issues. I have the ability to grow as a person. I'm still here. And a lot of us aren't. So many people I know that just didn't make it through this. And there's a reason why, right? I mean, there's got to be. If not, I'll create one. I don't need to be told what it is. You know, if I can be a guiding light to people that are still struggling, then that makes everything I've ever done worth it. Nothing went in vain, you know? Yeah. So what do you do in your life nowadays? Just working, keeping up with uh, your sobriety, you still hit meetings and stuff? Yes, I'm still going to meetings. I uh, I take on commitments. Um, I work too much. You know, like I barely have days off, but I mean, I, I recently about a year ago started my own company. I, I install tile and laminate flooring. I do other like home improvement things, but it's, it's predominantly just the tile and, and flooring, uh, work kitchens, backsplashes, bathrooms and such. Uh, my company's called Valhalla tile because of my Nordic, you know, background and my faith basis and such. So, uh, I, uh, I work a lot. I spend a lot of time with my daughter over the past uh, two years. I met a girl who I'm head over heels in love with, you know, we're engaged. Uh, I have a 14 year old daughter that finally I have my own place, you know, like we got a bedroom for her here. She comes over often. I don't have any issues setting up visitation with her mother. I can have my kid when I want. I'm trusted with her. I trust myself with her, you know, I'm able to do for her, to provide for her, and uh, more than anything, like I'm, I'm, I'm able to give her a good life and actually be a positive role model to her. You know, like, and that's that's what makes all this stuff worthwhile. That's why I don't sit here contemplating when I can go back out or or what little reservations going to take me back out there. Like, I don't hold on to that stuff. I'm aware things may exist that might might put me in that mind frame, but. I have way too much to be grateful for today to to slide back into that hell. Yeah. Yeah, once you get to the point where we're at, you have a lot to lose. Right. And I mean, the longer the longer we keep ourselves in recovery, and recovery is not simply clean time. You know what I mean? Like anybody any and I'm not I'm not diminishing anyone who 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 isn't, you know, actively you know, fighting, working, you know, this war of recovery, but like, I have to do more than simply abstain to give me a reason not to use because abstinence, you know, like abstinence will keep you from getting high, but it, it won't keep you, it, it won't, it won't help you grow as a human being. I spend so much time diminishing myself and, 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 and collapsing and, and breaking myself down that I needed to build myself up and to become something more. You know, like I need to give myself a reason to be, you know, to, to to create a legacy or just to to leave a positive impact somewhere. You know, I've done so many negative things and I've I've if you were to look at me on a sheet of paper, I seem like a piece of shit, you know, like. But all the things that I've been able to give back to to volunteer my time with the time I spend with my daughter, you know, like. I'm capable of providing for her. And that's, that's the least of it, you know, like that it's, it's a necessity by all means, but I'm capable of spending time with her and being present, which I wasn't prior, you know, like I may have been there, but I was by no means present. There was no conscious 
version of me that was part of it. So today we spend time together. We play games. We go places. We listen to music. We go to concerts, you know, like me, her and and her soon to be stepmother. You know, those two have a beautiful relationship. Like I'm, I'm so thrilled with how well they get along together and how they connect and they go off and they do their own things together. And, and I get to just be a part of if, even if I'm not physically there, I get to be a part of seeing it and, and knowing it's happening and knowing that it could be so much worse, you know? Yeah. Like it could It'd be, be terrible. Be worse. I could drive around in a car today. That's mine. I can walk into a home today. That's mine. I'm not going to catch a felony for going in there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing the shit that could happen to you when you're sober. It's not just sober, though. It's it's amazing what can happen when, when you decide you're more than you believe you are. You know, when, when you face the fact that that simple little reflection in the mirror doesn't tell you everything about yourself and you get to create who you want to be, that every day you have another opportunity to build yourself up. Like I wasn't one of those people who came in with this 10 year plan and I'm like, I'm going to do big things and I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be so much better. No, I looked for this, this incremental change every single day, you know, just a grain of sand. I just keep pushing grains of sand on top of each other. And though it seems like nothing each day, after three, four years, after five, 10 years, after 15, 20 years, I have a whole fucking mountain that I built with these little grains of sand. So that that little thing, I don't need to be exponentially better every day. I just need this incremental change, this slight better, a little bit bigger than I was yesterday, a little bit better than I was yesterday. And that's 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 what helps fulfill me. That's what gives me a reason to, to progress and move forward. There's no reason for me to look back at bullshit when I have that. Yeah, it's not productive. Right. Getting towards the end here, um, one of the last questions I ask everybody is, you got any advice for people that are watching and listening? Any advice you'd give them if somebody was asking about how to get sober and stay sober? It's funny. Like, it, that seems like such an easy question. But it's but not. It's not. Not at all. Because... Stopping and recovery is not a it's not this 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 formatted device that you could hand somebody. There's no user manual for it. You know, like there's there's so much involved and it's such an individualized circumstance because what works for me and what I do may not work for the next person. It may be useless to some people. You know what I mean? Like when I used to go into meetings and hear people talk about how they got clean, I'm like, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like. That shit don't work like that. You know, like you're probably still getting high or you're probably on fucking Suboxone or Methadone or something else. You know, like, I mean, the only true advice that I'd ever be able to give, and it's not even advice, it's more of a a, uh, a reassurance. You deserve better. You're more than that. Don't, don't define yourself by the mistakes you've made, by the lengths you've gone to, to, to maintain this chemical dependence, you know, people are so much better than they believe they are. And they're worth so much more than they think they are. You're not the value of the tattered clothes you're wearing. You're not the value of the poor mistakes you've made or the bad decisions you've made to, to perpetuate a negative existence. 
just believe, you know, like you need to believe and you need to have faith that there is something valid inside you. There's something that deserves better. And with time, with pushing through and moving forward and, and making every effort to attain the product of that belief, you'll see that you're, you're beyond what you believed you were. And you can be so much more than what you've become once you get there. You know, like don't, don't forfeit yourself to a, to a, a shallow existence to this, this, this living as a shell. It, it doesn't benefit any of us. You know, like no person is irredeemable. So just don't, don't throw in the towel. I appreciate that. That's a good advice. Um, how do you feel? You, did you enjoy the interview today? Yeah. I, honestly, I always love talking recovery, you know, like, yeah, besides, besides, uh, besides having my daughter and, and, and getting engaged and, and the accomplishments I have, my recovery is my greatest accomplishment. And the fact that I can continue to use it to benefit other people. You know, like I'm not that guy who runs around spitting out NA quotes. I hate those stupid little quips, but you know, we can only keep what we have by giving it away. This means nothing if we don't show other people how to get it, you know? Exactly. And it's 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 really important to me. Yeah. All right, my friend. I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. No problem. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely, man. It was a pleasure. Um, did you have anything else you want to talk about or throw in before we head out? Not that I can think of. Nothing you can think of? Well, like I said, thank you again for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, sit tight for just a minute. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, TikTok, Instagram. You name it, we're on it. I also suggest checking out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of free resources as well as free literature available. Also, Addicts Anonymous actually has a book out. I thought I had it over here. I don't. Uh, it's called Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. It's a collection of people's personal stories as well as a number of different topics and drugs that I've written about. Um, so that's available on Amazon and Kindle. And soon it'll be available also on Walmart and Target and things like that. So uh, keep your eye out for that. Hopefully you guys can get the book and take a look at it. So that's all we have for today's podcast. I really hope everybody enjoyed it and uh, we'll catch you next time.